Neighbors Church. Alexis here. Dan and I are excited to have a little conversation uh, for the beginning of our month, just as a means of meditation for um, us as a church together. Um, The past couple of months, we have emphasized going the pace of the flock. Uh, Last month, we talked about how are we um, upholding and contributing to having tight-knit relationships via the words that we use about one another, how we talk about one another um, privately and together. And this month, we want to talk about prayer. Um, This is so important because actually as a church, we are focusing um, the entire month of November leading up to Advent on prayer. And um, everything that we do in this life um, really comes as a Jesus follower from our prayer. Um, To be with Jesus, we have to pray. To become like Jesus, we must pray as he prayed. To do what he did, we have to pray to know what to do. And so we are just wanting to actually have a brass tacks conversation together on what are some practices of prayer, um, both contemplative and charismatic? What are some creedal prayers? And just have a little conversation about that and encourage you guys in your prayer lives that prayer is actually just having a conversation with Jesus. And I think sometimes we so overcomplicate it and we make it this big have to and should that we're actually missing out on just regular, ordinary moments to commune with our Father. And so... That's what we're going to talk about today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because prayer is twofold. It's either super condemning in the Christian world, like right now, you're feeling guilty. Uh, I should be praying more. I wish I prayed more. I don't know how to pray. I'm not sure I believe prayer actually works. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's often this this condemning thing that you feel like you have to master something. While on the flip side of it, there's also this childlikeness reality to prayer. And I feel like that's the place that I'm wanting to master. I want to master what it means to be a child, Mm. Um, which is more difficult than mastering some sort of checkbox that I prayed these certain prayers at these certain hours on these certain days. Therefore, I'm a good, obedient Christian. It's more prayer is the process of returning to childlikeness. And mastering that childlikeness, I think, for me, is the greatest difficulty. Having walked with Jesus now for 20 years, I'm realizing um, what an adult I am in my Christianity. And prayer returns me to that simplicity, uh, that expectation, that hopefulness, that uh, giddiness and excitement of just being a kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and childlike prayer really... Uh, what can feel difficult about that is the vulnerability that comes with it. There's a vulnerability in praying our heart's desires. There's a vulnerability in coming to Jesus knowing that we actually can't uh, fabricate or do anything. Like we cannot make things happen. And so um, prayer in a childlike way really um, emphasizes that vulnerability, that helplessness that we have while also um, just creating uh, intimacy. Mm-hmm. And so we can we can do great sermons, we can sing all the songs, we can attend community group and try to do justice, all of those things um, that we have really talked about the past, you know, eight eight sermons or so, even at, on our Sunday gatherings, um, that this community of what we want to be. But without prayer um, as our driver, 
we're really going to be directionless. Yeah. And that's a bold and I believe really true statement. And I think, dear listener, if you are like me, you have to recognize the the internal cynicism and the external cynicism that um, resists prayer. I think as we mature over the years, we begin to set up these expectations with prayer that um, I prayed this, there was no response. Therefore, my only way to go is cynicism. And then there's the external deconstructing cynicism of our current moment that really resists prayer. But we believe that we're to be contending in this age. This little circle of churches that we're starting to yoke up with have seven core convictions and and one of them is contending. And so in our framework of discipleship, to be with Jesus, we must pray regardless of our internal and external cynicism. Mm -hmm. To become like Jesus, we have to pray as he prayed and he prayed as a child, Abba, Father, in utter dependence, in utter trust. And Jesus, his prayers... Uh, he had some of the worst circumstances and yet he continued on in that childlike dependence on his father. And then really to do what Jesus did in this world, uh, we're, we're, we're committing to this childlike mastery of prayer. So as my wife said, November is a month of prayer for us. We want to create a prayer culture at Neighbors Church. We're going to open uh, this actually tonight with a night of worship Uh, Starting off the month, we're going to take our Sunday gatherings and have our teachings um, be focused on prayer while including prayer movements um, during our teachings and our Sunday gatherings. As well, we're going to conclude our month of prayer with a 12-hour prayer room, which I am so, so, so excited about. Um, On one Saturday at the end of this month, we're going to every hour on the hour from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., pray. And so different people will fill different slots and they'll be given a guide through the Lord's prayer to pray and seek Jesus. So let's just have a little bit of a conversation on practicing prayer and how you and I are practicing prayer together and um, what that looks like. Of course, Dan and I are by no means um, masters um, with prayer. And this is really just a season that we're in. And so this is just kind of an expression of what we are feeling the spirit incline us towards and what we want to invite you into. For me, especially I'd say in the last month and a half, uh, prayer has really been this process of getting my theology into my biology. And Tim Keller actually has this, this great quote on prayer, uh, his book, Prayer Experiencing on Intimacy with God. And he talks about how um, prayer becomes this this moment where the Holy Spirit helps us experience our theology. Tim Keller says, that means an encounter with God that involves not only the affections of the heart, but also the convictions of the mind. We are not called to choose between a Christian life based on truth and doctrine or a life filled with spiritual power and experience. They go together. I was not called to leave behind my theology and launch out to look for something more for experience. Rather, I was meant to ask the Holy Spirit to help me experience my theology. And so for me, the past um, month and a half has really been uh, having prayer connect my brain and heart. And it's helping me get my head knowledge into my felt and real experience um, via praying scriptures and contending and interceding and sitting in silence. And so 
let's talk about this. What are some prayer practices and types of prayer that we can practice? I think it's important that we frame up types of prayer in response to even like Tim's quote, that the Holy Spirit helps us to experience our theology. Mm -hmm. Um, When we hear that, I think that that is a a birthplace of a lot of frustration in prayer in that you walk with Jesus and in the early years, everything is vibrant and alive. And then all the great saints speak about long seasons of dryness and a sense that God is not near. But that is as much a valued experience of the Holy Spirit in prayer as is tongues of fire coming upon your head. Mm-hmm. I, in fact, I think it's the great weak point of the Western church in prayer is that we associate all the feel goods um, with the Holy Spirit and God's presence. And we neglect the fact that oftentimes God's presence is silence and it is a sense of, um, well, it's an experiential sense of him not being there, but by pure faith, embracing the fact that he is there. And so we frame prayer through three grid words, charismatic, contemplative, and creedal. And in so doing, what we find is that our prayers hit and address these types of prayers, charismatic prayers, contemplative prayers, creedal prayers, which I'll explain what that is when we get there. Um, They address each of the experiential things that we experience as a people of prayer. They, they, they leave categories for experiencing the Holy Spirit in tongues of fire, in vibrancy, mm-hmm. in contending, in overflow, in, in literal tongues. And it leaves space for just deep stillness that is maybe peaceful and maybe not peaceful, but in recognition of the presence of God, that's contemplative prayer. And then creedal praying, I'm kind of, this is kind of a work in progress. I'm kind of road testing it right now on this podcast and with our community. But the idea of creedal prayer is it's based in scripture. And so when we get ready through November to engage in prayer practices, we're actually just going to be looking directly at the prayers of Paul. Mm -hmm. Uh, the, The actual scriptural uh, the inspired words of Paul as he was praying for these communities in Ephesus and Thessalonica. And it's upon these great doctrines that the creeds were built, um, the various confessions of Christianity. And so creedal prayer is just a, a, I'm alliterating with charismatic and contemplative, but it's just basically memorizing the scriptures and praying the scriptures uh, fully and completely. So let's talk about charismatic Charismatic praying. And what what in the world does that even mean to you and I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, charismatic, I mean, for me is is really just that sense of crying out to God. Um, that can be through uh, song. It can be through praise and lamentation. It can be through um, even like the gift of tongues, um, adoration, just this, um, abandoned going after Jesus, like even on a walk by yourself, charismatic, just going for it, praising God, or it can be communally in a, in a gathering together. But all of it is just this, I would say probably a more of an outward expression mm-hmm. than inward. Um, Maybe more emotional, more passionate. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I'm careful to say emotional because mm. I know for some charismatic um is a trigger for them, mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. idea of, you know, charismatic prayer being emotional. 
But I would say that, you know, there's Expressive these, maybe? Yeah, because there are these moments in scriptures, even when you look at David where he literally takes off all his clothes in this abandoned worship to God. And, Love that. You know, and his wife's like, uh, he's crazy. Um, but he was really in charismatic prayer and worship, adoring mm. God. You know, as you're talking... Uh, there's so many backgrounds and interpretations and frameworks for whenever we use these words, charismatic or contemplative, we associate it with certain tributaries and styles of Christianity. It might be helpful with charismatic prayer to just get back to the very Greek roots of what is being said there. We get our word charismatic, uh, f- charisma, these types of words from Paul's language in uh, the book of 1 Corinthians where he talks about charismata. And that could literally be translated manifestation. So when we talk about charismatic prayer, we're talking about manifesting, uh, manifesting the presence of the Holy Spirit. So whenever I think of charismatic prayer, I I start thinking of an openness, a posture of radical risk, uh, a posture of of conduit. Uh, I want to be a conduit for the Holy Spirit to come in and manifest his will and his desire. And so the things that we describe charismatic prayer with, or the experiences that we associate with charismatic prayer are oftentimes energetic. They're, they're more loud. They're more passionate. We use words like crying out. Tongues is an entire conversation in and of <laughs> itself, theologically and, and ecclesiologically, how tongues works in the church. Why do we even have tongues? Um, but these, these supernatural is a good word to describe these charismata, these, these manifestations. Mm-hmm. And so as a contending people, we're inviting our community to contend charismatically, to become conduits of the Holy Spirit's impulses, his passions, his hunger, his drives, his desires, and to be filled with those things in such a way. And one way that we have really been focused on. I think it's our age. I think it's the season of ministry that we're in. I think it's the the church plant that we're in. I think it's the city that we live in. More than ever, charismatic prayer is taking on the form of prayer as spiritual warfare. For sure, this has been a huge practice um, for me lately with... um, just even on walks, literally going on a walk and taking a psalm that I read through line by line and I pray and contend. And also it's it's this way where I, it's like taking up the shield of faith to fight off the fiery darts of the enemy. It's just been a significant practice for me um, the past few months. And I know even you and I together have had moments where we've just sat down and said, let's pray. And we've just focused our prayers all on scripture and the truth of who God is um, and putting everything through that grid and praying through that grid versus mm. praying through a grid of our own personal feelings. Yeah, I don't think we realize the magnitude of power that we have in prayer. And I don't think we realize the magnitude of resistance that the enemy mm-hmm. and his minions uh, exert against a praying Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, it's It's become so apparent to me that, Praying out loud really does change. And I, I, I don't know what the science is on this. I, I hope somebody observes this somewhere along the line with FRMI or some sort of technology. But I have felt in my body 
literal change happen. Mm-hmm. Lex, can you talk a little bit about that? There was a couple nights ago. Oh yeah. That we really got after it. And it was crazy because it's not like there was this um But like we were both feeling in our guts like over just this darkness and depression. Yeah, and it was crazy because we hadn't even verbalized it to one another, but we were both feeling it. And something in our conversation led us to say, well, let's just pray. And we didn't even go into praying necessarily for the situation. We just started praying scripture. And like I said, we started proclaiming who God is, his character. And it was just crazy because both of us, when we concluded that time of spiritually warring, our, our, you know, warring is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. It was nuts because you and I both, when we concluded our prayer, we're like, whoa, something's lifted. And it was in that moment, we both acknowledged, like I was actually feeling very heavy and like there was darkness and it, that light was shown in the darkness and, and, um, the devil had to flee. Yeah. This little section may be worth the price of admission, friend. If you've got, you know, a sense in your home or in your workplace, um, or in your classroom or with that professor, prayer is an act of legit, unstoppable spiritual warfare. And it is something that must be engaged in relentlessly and consistently. Um, I'm reading through C.S. Lewis's space trilogy right now, which is so not Lewis. So you got to get, if I, if, if you go read these books, it's very different Lewis. It's brilliant Lewis, but different Lewis. And in Paralandra, he has this scene where the, the antagonist who is actually essentially a, a demon possessed man is coming against the protagonist, a man named Ransom. And Lewis describes this demon sitting in front, this demon-possessed man sitting in front of Ransom, just saying his name over and over and over. Ransom, 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 Ransom. A thousand times. And Ransom is acting out in resistance, but then Lewis carries it forward and the metaphor is he has to go to war with this, this being physically while it's wearing, well, the, the evil being is wearing Ransom down with this just repetitive nonstop. And so Ransom has to go to war with him and he has to get physical. And I do think that there's real value in going through your home. My wife and I will sit at a particular coffee shop right now that we think is a stronghold. And we'll just sit there and we'll pray as if we're having a conversation with each other while we're <laughs> drinking our coffee. We will pray out loud, you know, not not crazy loud. Although sometimes I do want to stand up and in the name of Jesus, take the place. <laughs> very <laughs> <But> charismatic. <laughs> very charismatic and weird. Uh, but praying out loud. Mm-hmm. Listen, pray out loud with your with your family. Pray out loud in your rooms. Pray out loud while you're walking. There is something so real and tangible about the voice of a praying Christian resisting the enemy. And I would also say for me, I'm in a season where Psalm 42 and the spiritual warfare within uh, is so important. Mm-hmm. speaking truth to oneself in prayer is how Psalm 42 starts. Why are you downcast, O my soul? The psalmist is speaking to himself. And in so many ways, the psalmist is picking up on a, a new school of psychology, modern psychology called internal family systems. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah, it's really fascinating. They These therapists are working from the thesis that there are multiple kind of personalities, not literal multiple personalities, but multiple parts of us 
there's the protector, there's the antagonist, there's the, the wounded child, there's the manager, all these voices. And, and then there's the adult, mature, real sense of self in you. So with the psalmist, internal family systems would agree. You speak to yourself the truth. And I can't tell you how often I have found myself inviting angry Dan to come and sit down and explaining to angry Dan, this is, I know this sounds crazy, but explaining to angry Dan, hey, your anger is justified right now. What you experienced was wrong and you're justified in that anger, but there's something bigger at work. And I want you to come with me as we trust God to work through this or taking terrified, wounded, anxious Dan, little kid Dan that was bereft of attention and walking with him and, and adult mature Dan in the spirit, charismatically praying with God here, Dan, I know you're scared. I know you're wounded, but I want you to walk with me and journaling this stuff, talking to myself in the spirit with the scriptures. This is that charismatic work. And I know this sounds weird guys, but listen, we believe that a peasant carpenter was capitally punished by the Roman empire and then raised three days from the dead. That's weird. That's super weird. The least we can do is be picking up on what modern psychology is just now discovering. These ancient practices of, of doing work in reality through prayer. Mm-hmm. Another, um, I actually think it kind of goes in conjunction 100%. with the spiritual warfare is praise and adoration. There is nothing like taking time to just praise God, to adore him. Uh, That can be through song. It can be through writing out prayers. It can be like Dan said, speaking out loud. It can be through reading a psalm, but praising and adoring God, giving thanks. uh, One of the things um, Dan and I love to do in prayer is to acknowledge our triune God by telling him we love him. I love you, Father. I love you, Son. I love you, Spirit, and saying that out loud. And really uh, a huge amount of contending happens um, in our hearts when we praise and give thanks to God. Um, And so now I think it'd actually be great to turn a corner, you know, moving from that charismatic into um, contemplative prayer. Contemplative prayer can be like prayer breathing, uh, centering prayer, Lectio Divina. Obviously, we are big into Lectio Divina at Neighbors Church. We talk a lot about silence and solitude. That is a form of contemplative prayer. Fasting is, is contemplative prayer with our bodies. We're literally denying our flesh and praying with our bodies. And I think just to give you like a roadmap in this, it's helpful to think of I like to think of charismatic prayer. You, you pray yourself empty. Mm. So the Holy Spirit fills you or the Holy Spirit doesn't fill you. You just start praying out every desire, every thought that comes and you're praying it out loud. You're praying in tongues. You're interceding for family, for friends, for your church, for your work. You're doing warfare. You're speaking to yourself. You're praising God. You're lamenting. You're adoring. You just kind of become a stream of prayer consciousness. And as you pray yourself empty charismatically, what I mean by that is eventually you do come to a place where words are not as needed. There's a calming that comes. Satan has fled because of your act of faithful resistance. And this is a a very natural place to shift into these more contemplative forms of prayer. You pray yourself empty charismatically and it bridges into a more deeply contemplative expression of prayer. And so you begin to notice your breath having prayed yourself empty. 
And you begin to notice these deeper places in your soul that have been stirred by prayer. Mm -hmm. You take note where there was anxiety or pressure and now there's spaciousness and a sense of peace. And you tend to that in the quiet. And contemplative prayer is very much a passive act. Charismatic prayer is very active. It's very intentional. Contemplative prayer is very observant. It's very receptive. It's very passive. And so these, uh, I don't know, these two expressions, charismatic and contemplative, they are interchangeable. You can move from charismatic praying and interceding and warfare to contemplative moments of just receiving, resting. You can move from that contemplative resting to, a, a for me, it's usually a more gentle form of charismatic prayer after the, vulca- after the volcano has blown itself out and then it calms down and then, then the lava builds back up and mm-hmm. then it can overflow through, I think, maybe better formed conduits. I've noticed for me sometimes just in in light of that, that whole idea of moving from charismatic to contemplative, that I have many moments where I'll go from that contemplative place of adoration and praising God Mm. into a sudden just silence. And and I really believe that in those moments and that silence, it's like worshiping God, this vast, huge God who's in control of all things, I go into this place of silence because I become aware of my own finiteness and my inability to actually comprehend just how massive this God is and that this massive God actually cares for me. And so it leads me into this moment of silent reflection as well as I would say silent confession, Mm. um, acknowledging my limitations and my inability to see God for who he is. It is interesting in the contemplative space with silence. Right now, it's definitely in the air. Everybody loves silence. Everybody's talking about mindfulness in the in this business world. If you do a search on where the word silence, the English word silence is translating the Hebrew and the Greek words. In the Hebrew Bible in particular, silence is oftentimes associated with the prophets coming to the people saying, be silent. God is going to judge. Mm. And so silence is a place of awe. As St. Paul would say, silence is a place where you work out your salvation with fear and trembling, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Silence comes after these charismatic expressions of entering the presence of God and like Isaiah, finding yourself saying, woe is me, I'm, I'm undone. I can only sit here and breathe in the presence of my Father. It's sacred, it's holy. But what I would say to you, friend, is mastering this place of silence is mastering it as a child. A child sits in the presence of his father and there's respect and reverence and awe for the father. There should be, but there's also this adoration and love. The human soul and the human body is this concoction, this very complex cocktail of the ability to hold intention, fear and reverence and trembling with deep abiding joy and hope. And so charismatic to contemplative, contemplative back to charismatic. Mm -hmm. And all of this beloved, requires some sort of structure. It requires deep intentionality, specific time set aside, specific ways and prompts and motivators to move us to these places of prayer. And one of the things that I have found most helpful is what I'm just calling creedal prayer. I mentioned this earlier, and that is memorizing scriptures that you pray. I would say now for about, and you would be surprised how easy this is, 
But for going on a half decade now, I started doing this way back in Seattle. Mm -hmm. I woke up one morning just so frustrated with my prayer life. And I was like, you know what? I'm done praying whatever I want to pray. I'm going to pray whatever Paul prayed because then I know it will get answered, right? (laughs) And I realized Paul's main prayers for his churches was that they would know and experience God's love. He didn't pray for big, vast revivals, although that's a good thing to pray for. He didn't, he prayed for people to know God's love. So I memorized the first prayer in Ephesians chapter one and the second prayer in Ephesians chapter three. And with not too many misses, literally over the last five years, every morning I have very briefly, sometimes very deeply, but most often briefly prayed the prayer from memory from Ephesians one and Ephesians three. And it has given me a framework. I begin my prayers with the set of memorized prayers uh, grant to myself, my wife, Sophia, Nyla, Joby. And then I go through a list of names of people in our church, a spirit of wisdom and revelation. And I go and I pray Ephesians one. And then I pray Ephesians three over those specific names and those churches. And that launches me into more deep charismatic expressions of prayer that launch me into deeply contemplative expressions of prayer. I think the point I'm trying to make is that there's some sort of structure required for a prayer life to begin to thrive and intentionality. Yeah. And with that structure, um, you know, with charismatic, you can be like, well, that's, that's not structured, but it's like, it's the both. And because you, it's like, you're intentionally fasting, you're intentionally praying, you're setting aside these times, like, like the daily office morning, midday, evening, you're praying certain prayers and certain scriptures while also having moments in your day or on a Saturday afternoon on a walk where you're charismatically, you know, it's out of the routine. It's not just a part of the daily office. I think that we neglect the power of creedal prayer and that it's not experiential. It feels too skeleton. It feels too structured for us. Well, for many of us, I guess, who are Western experientially driven human beings. But we have to remember the great tributaries of the church have based their entire liturgies. That is Mm -hmm. the way that they behave on memorized prayers that are prayed, written, received on a liturgical calendar through the centuries. So there is something very beautiful about having your own personal liturgy of memorized prayers. I have an intercessory list that basically starts with my mom and dad and ends with my neighbors. It's a list now of probably 35 people that I can pray through in literally about 35 seconds, one second per name. And I can pray them every morning intercessorily asking God to be merciful with these names. There's Paul's prayers that I'm praying. And these, these memorized prayers create intentionality and space for me to to enter into more charismatic and contemplative expressions of prayer. So our personal prayer life right now, I think mine is more healthy than it's ever been, but I also understand the grace of God around my prayer life. Mm -hmm. And there has been a lot more intentional structure with this creedal praying of memorized uh, prayers. What are you doing? That's definitely where I'm at. I've definitely felt the Holy Spirit drawing me more inward and actually removing obstacles um, to my prayer. But I've, for me, um, personally become more structured in my prayer because I feel Mm. like without the structure, 
I've been a little more just like a ship that's not anchored. So I'm, I'm floating away versus if I'm starting to float, going that anchor holding me down. And so mm-hmm. for me, prayer in the past, um, you know, two months has been way more structured. Um, and I think actually to that point, um, I think we have to acknowledge as we're talking about being a people of prayer and the practices of prayer and that kind of thing, that there are very real obstacles to prayer, but there are ways around them. And so, you know, we're just going to say it like we always do. Social media is an obstacle to prayer and um, it's hard. And I think sometimes we have to just downright be brutal with it and utterly remove it, like deactivate our accounts, take it off our phone. Um, You know, when I remove Instagram from my phone, it's just crazy how my brain's like, oh, well then what's happening in the news? And I never read the news app, but the moment I take one app off my phone, it's like my brain wants to fixate on another. So it's like taking, being brutally honest and hacking away with what are obstacles that that are prohibiting me from spending time in prayer. And we have to be ruthless with them and remove them. As well, I would say an obstacle to prayer is just having unreal expectations um, around what it feels like experientially. Yeah, I think just circling back around real briefly on the on the social media thing, mm-hmm. um, the ruthlessness is is it's only going to be exercised when the results of a prayerless life exceed the results of distraction. You know numbing with social media feels good and it helps alleviate, but it still leaves us with that sense of emptiness and a sense of longing. And the, the more you tend to that sense of longing, the more readily you will relieve yourself or release yourself from those algorithms that are trapping us. I, I finally reached a point even with YouTube, you know, Puppies chasing baby elephants are impossible not you really to watch. Really, do like to watch? I those. do. I love them, and so I've put blocks on all of my devices now to where I cannot get on YouTube, and <laughs> so I have no Instagram, no Twitter, n- nothing. And now I don't even have access to distract with YouTube, and I have been shocked how my brain doesn't want to pray when I go to go to distract myself with the YouTube video, and I realize, oh, I can't. And my next thought is, okay, well, I can check Surfline and see what the waves are doing, or I can check my emails, rather than my next thought being, oh, I could lift up a little prayer right now for the rest of my day or for my family or for my friends or for this thing. It, it is a ruthless, a ruthless elimination, as John Mark said, a ruthless elimination of hurry. It is a ruthless elimination of that which distracts and, and takes us away. And that's where what my wife just mentioned is we have to have real expectations about what this feels like experientially. Mm -hmm. I think we grow discouraged in our prayer practices because we have a false expectation that we're going to enter into prayer. We're going to get rid of Instagram. We're going to get rid of YouTube. And it's going to be this angelic floating on clouds. And instead we find ourselves sitting in our room, distracted and anxious and upset. And oftentimes it's like, if we really are honest with it, it's just like, well, I don't want to do this. Yeah. This feels like work. And I actually would rather, you know, zone out on puppies chasing elephants, Who whatever. Who doesn't want to do that though? <laughs> and so we have to be honest with even just like our desire. Um, and I would say too, just to encourage some of you, maybe where like your life season 
feels like an obstacle. Maybe you have a brand new baby or maybe you're in a in a house with... Three teenage kids that are nuts. I was going to say, maybe you're like a college student living in a house with eight other girls and it feels loud and crazy. And you're like, I don't know how to have rhythms of prayer and that kind of thing. And so be honest with that. But I think you need to know that there is always space in our days for prayer. And it's just literally turning our eyes to say, okay, where are those spaces and going after them, even when we don't really want to. This is a really raw uh, obstacle to prayer, but it is the greatest obstacle to prayer in my Mm -hmm. life. I'd say for most everyone. Do you think so? Yeah. You don't think it's just me? Mm -hmm. I don't, I, this, I don't want, it's very raw for me. Um, but I have prayed certain things that have unequivocally, my father has said no, and they're good things. They're like good and holy things. And that pain, that, that pain of being denied a prayer, um, produces opportunity. It produces forks in the road to make decisions about what prayer is. And I many, many times have found myself saying, fine, I'm just not going to pray this anymore. And yet the desire that prompted that prayer, that motivated that prayer does not go away. So you're in this civil war of, I want this desire to go away. And then you pray yourself empty with expectation and hope. And then the prayer doesn't come to fruition either in your timeline or ever. And you find yourself frustrated or wounded or hurt. That unmet expectation actually friends from the contemplative perspective and the charismatic perspective and the creedal perspective is always an invitation to intimacy. Yeah. Always. And the prayer as spiritual warfare is prayer that resists isolating and it is prayer that resists separating from God. And so unmet expectations reframed in a charismatic and in a contemplative and in a creedal perspective thinking about Paul in prison. I don't think that was the man's expectations when he became a follower of his rabbi, Jesus. But the man prayed through his whole life. These unmet expectations become an invitation to say, you know what? I'm going to press in and frame my prayer life around what the Bible says. And these unmet expectations, even in my body right now, I'm going to contemplate the fact that I feel dry and I don't believe these prayers are being answered, but by pure faith, I'm going to pray them. And they sound like they're empty words going up into the air, doing nothing. But my God has said, pray these things. Therefore, as an act of intimacy and covenant obedience to him, I will continue on. Mm-hmm. And so really with these obstacles that we're all going to face, just to encourage you guys in this coming month, as we face obstacles, as life continues to go on around us, as we are taking care of kids, as we're studying and going to school and living with roommates, as we experience moments where our expectations aren't met, um, tend to the smallest sprouts of opportunity where you can enter into prayer, where you can enter into contending, whether that be charismatic, whether that be contemplative, or whether it's just praying scripture, um, tend to the smallest sprouts of opportunity. Um, Use those moments where you would maybe be on social media um, instead for a time of prayer. Those moments when you're sitting in your car um, in traffic, use that as a moment. Um, to pray, that moment where you have to walk to the grocery store to pick up something, even from your car to the grocery store, um, pray. And so we want to invite you, um, neighbors, to 
make November a month of prayer and to contend for things personally, contend for the presence of God, contend for our church, contend for our city. And though we may not see all of that, those, those prayers answered in our lifetime, we can be assured that God is working through the prayers of a righteous man. He promises that the prayers of a righteous man avails much. And a righteous woman. That's right. <laughs> Shalom, y'all. Shalom, friends. Shalom, friends.